Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. You're listening to Gambling with an Edge. Now, here are your hosts, Bob Dancer. And Richard Munchkin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today, Richard and I are going back into our mailbag. Our listeners are very generous with asking questions. And many of these we have not actually answered before, which is um, which is good. And uh, we always have room for more. So anytime you want to know something... Uh, Send it to gamblingwithanedge at gmail.com or post it on one of our shows or uh, send uh, Richard or me a private email or him a Twitter. First one. I have a question for Bob about his book, Million Dollar Video Poker. On page 236 and 7, you mentioned you have a friend named Joe who you're going to teach how to become a pro video poker player. I wonder if that ever worked out for him and if you have any details about it. Well, Joe is a guy who saw Shirley hit a $20,000 Royal flush and knew we were staying at the mansion at the MGM. Uh, he declared that being a video poker pro was the life for him and he wanted me to teach him how to do it. Unfortunately, he had no bankroll at the time. I told him to come back when he had at least a $10,000 bankroll. He was 40 years old and unmarried, getting and keeping a second job along with cutting back on his spending. He could accumulate such a bankroll in a year or less if he were motivated. Should he not be motivated, uh, saving $10,000 was probably an impossible task. But if you're not motivated, you're not going to become a professional gambler anyway. I told him reports on full pay, deuces wild, and 10-7 double bonus. Those would be the... Um, precursors of the Winner's Guide series, and these would be the games he would start on with his $10,000 bankroll. A year and a half later, about when the uh, Million Dollar Video Poker book was published, Joe had saved $7,500 and was planning on continuing his path to becoming a pro, and I was ready to help him when he reached ten grand. Shortly after that, Joe fell in love, and his priorities changed. He decided to use the $7,500 for a diamond ring and a honeymoon and gave up his dream on being a professional gambler. We've chatted a few times after that, but uh, we're no longer in contact. 
you know, I, I should add, I periodically get people who come to me and want me to teach them to be a professional gambler. And uh, I give them also a prerequisite, which is, you know, go learn basic strategy perfectly, read this book, learn basic strategy perfectly, and come back. And uh, 90 plus percent of them never come back. And uh, a lot of them say, oh, I know basic strategy. And uh, then I will ask them, you know, what do you do with an A7 against a 9? And usually they get that wrong. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had one come back uh, who actually had done it. All right. Here's one about your book, Richard. At the end of Chapter 1 of Gambling Wizards, what did you mean when you asked Billy Walters about the guy in Peoria? Oh, a guy from Peoria is just kind of a uh, shorthand for your average Joe. Just an average person, not a professional gambler. That That's all that phrase means. Just a ploppy sort of. Yeah. Okay. Another one for me. For when vulturing leftover multipliers on Ultimate X, should the advantage player use his player's card? Well, I wouldn't. There are slot directors who consider Ultimate X vultures as the scum of the earth because this casino basically has no chance against these players. If the casino can identify you, they are closer to being able to take steps against you. If they don't know who you are, it's a much more difficult uh, process for them. Plus, you're not making very much. Um, your rating at many places is determined by average daily theoretical. If you play at a place where you regularly put in, say, $5,000 a day, but have some vulturing sessions where you play 10 or $25 during that session and then you leave, Whatever benefit you would normally get will be greatly watered down by these tiny sessions and would end up costing you in comps and benefits way more than whatever you're going to get on Ultimate X. Now, if you're already playing at that casino, um, maybe waiting for hand pay on an adjacent machine and you check out the Ultimate X multipliers and you find one, then you could go ahead and use your card because you're already playing 10 or 20 or $100,000 through the machine. Same time, uh, while you could do it, there's little benefit because you're only going to be playing one hand. All right, here's one for Richard. In a recent podcast, you mentioned a podcast with KC. In the KC podcast, you talk about the Morongo promotion that got canceled. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, so Morongo was having a promotion on a Friday the 13th. And their idea was, it's Friday the 13th, we're going to pay 3 to 2 on a total of 13. Well, this is an enormous edge for the player. And... I got a call a day ahead of time. I think it was going to start at, I believe, uh, 6 o'clock in the uh, evening on Friday the 13th. Yeah. I got there, I think, about midnight and locked up a seat. 
and uh, the two friends who called me had been there already for six or eight hours. And so they ended up putting in 24 hours on the table before it started. Now, at this time, this was class two gaming, which meant there were bankers, which mean, means you had to pay a commission to play the hand. So you're playing at an enormous disadvantage, and we tried to play as slowly as we possibly could and take as many breaks as possible. Well, by about noon on, on that Friday, every seat in the place was booked, and there were, I mean, were, was taken, and there were vultures circling the table, tables repeatedly. There were guys offering to buy seats from players, and as this was going on, you could see the bosses, like, getting more and more nervous. They had never seen this kind of action there. The problem was Stanford Wong found out about it and wrote about it in his newsletter. So every card counter in the world was there, including Wong. And uh, I heard, I overheard two bosses talking, and one of them said that he just had a phone call in the pit and a guy had called him asking if the promotion was still going to happen and what was the nearest airport because somebody wanted to fly in. And um, so when 6 o'clock rolled around, they announced, we've decided we're not going to hold this promotion. And everybody was furious. I, I mean, we had paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars in commissions to sit there and hold these seats for all this time. And, but the promotion got canceled and everybody was pissed. And uh, Arnold Snyder did a big write-up about it in Blackjack Forum. You can probably, we'll put a link to it in the show notes um, for uh, his site with the article about it. But yeah, it was the biggest uh, promotion fiasco that uh, I ever went to. You were there too, right, Bob? Yeah, I got there probably at three o'clock in the afternoon, and there were still ploppies sitting at the table. So it's not like everybody was a pro. And so I definitely got a seat and was playing table minimum. Like you had to play, I think it was 25 cents a hand. And there were some countervailing. Um, benefits like there was a joker in the in the deck which gave you some benefit and so um i remember when they canceled it uh stanford wong was arguing vehemently with the uh the pit boss that he there's hundreds of people here you cannot possibly cancel it now and uh the pit boss said yes i can and uh, and he did and um he explained to Stanford that if he wanted to complain to the uh, council elders, to the tribal elders about uh, the treatment there, he was welcome to do so. And for some reason, Stanford decided that wasn't really a smart way to go. So we basically all left disgruntled. Uh, Rongo is, uh, I don't know, four-hour drive from Vegas, three hours, something like that. So it was manageable from Vegas, but a lot of people flew into Ontario or, or elsewhere. To, one, uh, one of my and, friends flew in from Hawaii. The one, the one who called me 
you know, the night before had had flown in from Hawaii for it. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Um, there are more than average video poker questions today. So I'm going to be answering probably two for everyone Richard gets. I uh, have not done this on purpose, but that's the... It's our listeners' fault for sending us too many video poker questions. It's just I've educated everyone too well. They don't have any questions anymore. That's it. I blame the victim or something like that. <laughs> um, somebody wants to uh, me to detail the M Life Reward Program changes. The site says they uh, changed the way points are calculated based on time played, average amount, and game type. With this change the way uh, you played a machine in terms of speed. And I don't play the M-Life system. I took more than a million dollars out of the MGM Grand in uh, 2000, 2001, and they have not forgiven me and have permanently decided they don't want my action. So I have no idea how the system is different from what they had before. And I don't even know if it's different other than what you just wrote in the question. Here's the way I would interpret the statement. Time played is pretty explanatory. So is average bet amount. For game type, I'll assume that a 99% game ref, uh, sees fewer points than a 98% game. Probably video poker in general receives fewer points than slot machines, etc. This doesn't appear to be a change in what they had before, except that several players previously assumed that wins or losses also affected the amount of points you receive, and they still might. Uh, just because they didn't announce it on their website doesn't mean it isn't happening. Um, the rules imply that if you're going to play, say, $100,000 coin in, you'll receive more points if you play on a $5 machine than a $10 machine of the same game type and pay schedule, simply because you'll be playing quite a bit longer on the $5 machine. Any of our listeners who know more about this are welcome to post it um, in the comment section after, the, after we uh, post this. Next question. The Blackjack Blue Book was the first book I read when starting on the AP path. Outside of what you can find on Internet, I've not run into many people who talk about or have knowledge of Fred Resney. What do you guys know about him, and can you share any stories related to Fred? I know nothing about him. Richard. You know, I know nothing about him either. I, something in the back of my mind tells me he died recently. Um, but I, I never knew him, and I didn't know anybody who knew him. So, uh, which is unusual because a lot of the blackjack authors, you know, are kind of known by everybody, like Arnold or Stanford Wong or whatever have been on the show. Um, so. Yeah, sorry, I can't help you. As I say, I, I didn't know him. Yep, and if you have a similar question about Ian Anderson, um, well, you get the same answer. Well, no, uh, people know him, um, and, uh, you know, I know quite a few people who know him, and uh, he's a very private guy, and but 
that that's a different case. Okay. My girlfriend of three years is sitting next to me, and I have given her just under $200 to play. She is playing jacks or better, $1 denomination, only betting one credit, and is dealt a royal. She wants to know that if she had been playing five credits, would she have still hit the royal? $4,000 excites her much more than $250. And my answer is probably not. Each hand is random, and the uh, random number generator spins once you hit the deal button. If you hit the button a nanosecond earlier or later, you get an altogether different hand. She has a 1 in 650,000 chance to be Delta Royal every time she hits the button. If you want to play that if she hit the button at the exact same second, uh, well, that's a situation that can never happen. Uh, you only can do one thing at a time, basically. Um, you can't go through life waiting to see what happens and then have a Groundhog Day do-over and try to pretend um, it was something different. Uh, some people enjoy feeling bad about this, that 250 is nowhere near as good as 4,000. As long as you're going to be playing that what-if game, um, why don't you pretend it was a $100 machine? That way, she missed out on a $400,000 royal flush instead of a measly $4,000. Now she really has something to feel bad about. Maybe she should play five quarters instead of $1. That is norm. We're going to have another question about that, but that is normally a better play, assuming the pay schedule is the same. Next question. I'm not a gambler, let alone an advantage player, but I'm fascinated by the lives of talented, creative, dedicated, and hardworking advantage players you interview on your podcast. My question is, how does an advantage player whose only source of income is advantage play know how much money can spend each year on living expenses? If you don't know how much you win or lose during the year, how do you know how much money you can spend? Richard. Well, in the beginning, it's tough. In the beginning, you basically try to spend as little as possible because you need that money for your bankroll. Your your, your money is the uh, your toolbox that you need to take to work with you every day. And I, I never had any kind of formula. I just tried to spend as little as possible to keep the money in the bankroll. And then uh, as you become more successful, then you can set aside a separate bankroll that is just dedicated to your work and the rest of your money you invest and live off of in those other things. But I, I never had any kind of a, a formula. I, I don't know how that would work. Well, the for me, the formula I used, I read it in a um, in a card player magazine that was addressed to poker players, and I don't remember who wrote it, but this author suggested having six months living expenses as your nut um, on hand and 
consider the rest of whatever wealth you had as your bankroll. So I pretty much tried to do that having because the gambling I know, you know, I've had three months or six months losing spells. So living this month on a money made gamble made gambling this month is something I've never really tried to do. It's more the gambling. Um, your wealth is what you live off of, and that's the bankroll. But your income is the goes up and down. There's income and expenses. So you need a cushion. Um, now, I have not gone broke since I have been a back uh, uh, video poker player. I did go broke as a backgammon player a couple decades ago. Uh, gee, that would be four decades ago where I uh, played against players who were better than me. And so um, and that's a prescription for bankruptcy. So I learned from that. You know, I basically had to go out and get a job. But um, and fortunately, I have not. Faced that since. And now I'm basically playing smaller games because the casinos with the good games at bigger stakes are, are not really crazy about my action. So it's probably impossible for me to uh, to go broke now unless there's a major financial collapse in the world, which, of course, is possible, but hopefully not. All right. Um, another video poker question. I was recently at my local casino, and after a few hands, I was presented with a 910 Jack Queen King of Hearts on a new hand. I went home a winner having held the straight flush, but I felt like a dog with my tail tucked between its legs because I didn't have the guts to take the chance for the royal. Did I miss a part of the book or card that explains this predicament? To me, it seems like a gambler's cross to bear. Take a surefire hand that increases my EV or cross my fingers and hope for the best. All right. In my classes, I call this a chicken versus gambler hand and discuss it in virtually every game. You don't know whether I don't know whether you made the correct play or not because you didn't specify what game you're playing. The long and the short of it is if you're playing a game without wild cards, it's far better to keep the dealt straight flush taking a guaranteed 250 or more coins is worth far more than the 90 to 100 coins drawing one to the royal is worth. If you're playing deuces wild, well, then you gamble it up, toss the nine, and say your prayer. In this game, straight flushes tend to be worth 45 to 85 coins, uh, depending on what variation you're playing, and going for the royal is worth um, 90 to 100 coins. So in this case, you're a gambler. If you're playing double-double bonus, it's right to be a chicken. The Las Vegas advisor has the top 10 values in Las Vegas. Uh, I'd like to hear Bob and Richard's opinion on them. So, Richard, you first. Well, <clears throat> I... Huh, I... A lot of them, I 
some of them I think are great and some of them I don't. <laughs> I don't really care about uh, the cheap beer or the dollar twenty-five hot dog. Uh, I remember going to see Matt King because he was on the list for a long time. And that was tremendous. And it became a show that I recommended to everybody who came to town and said, you know, what show should I go see? And I would say, you know what, here's a really cheap show. It's in the afternoon and you will love it. And everybody I sent loved it. So some of them are, are great and some of them don't really apply to me. Uh, and, and I kind of wish they were more diverse. Uh, the, the same thing is on there quite often. So, you know, once you've seen it, you're you're getting the same thing all the time. Whereas we have a different recommended every week. How about that? Um, but anyway, How so... How about that? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I love the idea of it. Um, I, I also like, uh, in the Las Vegas Advisor, what I like more is the... Uh, Anthony used to have these little reviews of of restaurants that he found where he would spotlight one particular restaurant i i really like that even more uh although he was very west side centric but um hey yeah that's anyway that's that's my thought pretty much i concur it's geared towards low roller visitors to town and that's not who i am so um I look at them periodically, but um, one of the ones they frequently have are cheap roommates in Vegas. Well, that's normally not a um, a concern for me. At times, I will get a hotel room comped, of course, but uh, paying for a hotel room in Vegas when I have a home here is uh, just not on my list. All right. Uh, next question. I've recently been playing Ultimate X, multiple line, double, double bonus, nickel denomination, 10 lines, $5 a spin. When I increase the denomination to a quarter, the machine restricts me to only three lines, $7.50 per spin. I feel like I'm losing the bonus multiplier advantage by only playing three lines instead of 10. Is it worth it to increase the denomination to a quarter, knowing I can only play three lines instead of the ten lines I can get for nickel? And you're neglecting the most important part of the situation, namely, what is the pay schedule? At the South Point, they have the exact situation you describe. The triple play quarter game is 9-6 and returns 99.7 when played perfectly. The nickel gain pay schedule is 8.5 and returns about 97.3%. With no offense intended, anyone who has a problem deciding whether playing a 99.7% game or a 97.3% game has no concept of what intelligent gambling is all about. I guess that was pretty offensive whether I intended it or not. I'm sorry. Next question. I saw some YouTube video a few years back on these guys that would team up to take sports book via tennis matches. One guy would be at the game with a blue piece earpiece, Bluetooth earpiece. Their friend would be at home ready to place a bet that player X will make the next point. 
If player X made the point, the guy at the game would tell his friend to place the bet, hoping they'll be able to place the bet quicker than the scorebooks updated it. Do you know if this play is still viable today? Why or why not? Richard, do you remember this? Oh, yeah. So there's a delay between what you're seeing on TV and what's actually happening on the court. That's also true in basketball and um, several sports. And there, there's a word for this, and I forgot what they call it, but people got arrested for this. Some of them, they would be sending text messages every point. Um, so uh, I believe it's still possible. I, I believe that there is still a delay and that you could do that. And now I don't know what people were charged with for doing this because, I mean, what's illegal about talking on the phone or sending a text message? But anyway, that's that's what it was about. That's how it worked. I don't know if it's still possible. And people did go to jail for this. So um, if you're not willing to do the time, don't do the crime, I guess. I don't know if they actually went to jail. I know they got arrested, but a lot of times, you know, people get arrested and then all the charges end up being dropped. Sometimes. All right. With the IRS trying to pass this $600 threshold to everyone's on everyone's bank account, what does this mean for today's gambler if it goes through? Uh I'm sure this will move right into the casinos. So instead of a $10,000 CTR, it's now going to be 600. I know Richard has mentioned multiple times that cash is going away. Sounds like he's right. Do you have any comment on this? Well, $600 is ridiculous, and I don't think there's a way in the world that that will ever go through. Just because the the lobbying by so many uh, moneyed interest groups, not just casinos, but there are other, uh, you know, think about Costco, uh, somebody who wants to pay $600 in cash for all the stuff they buy at Costco, and now they have to fill out CTRs on people. It, it just, the, the this will never get passed. But that being said, we are moving more toward a cashless society at, we talked about at G2E this year, the big thing was all this cashless gaming, and it's it's coming. You know, you, you will be doing everything with your phone and cards. Good. I, uh, I have nothing more to add on that. With Bob and Richard being successful gamblers, can you guys talk about what you've done as far as investments go? If any of those with winnings um, continue to have financial freedom to do uh, what you want to do with your time. I've heard in videos, interviews, documentaries, people making comments about how Advantage Plays was or just or has just this kind of stepping stone for something bigger. And it's such a grind because people use it to get ahead and then get out. I always hear real estate come up and people I know are always, it's great or it's awful, not much in between. So what do advantage players do with their 
six to seven figure winnings when they're done with advantage play. I know some of them start boot camps and train others to become advantage players. Richard. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, they invest. Some people uh, start businesses. Uh, most people put at least some money in the stock market, uh, into real estate. Uh, uh, the big thing these days is Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, yeah, so they, they invest. Um, and, and I mean, that's one of the things that I've kind of preached for a long time is that you have to put money into the system, which means you must pay taxes on it so that you can invest it in these other things so your money can work for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and the main thing to me is that you diversify. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. So, uh, yeah. So I have had rental properties. I have some money in real estate. I have money in the market. Um, I have some money in gold and silver. Uh, you know, I spread it around. I have a very small amount of crypto. Well, that sounds like more crypto than I have, since I have zero. Um, a significant portion is for me is in the, the bond and stock markets. Uh, while there are major corrections in uh, 2002 and 2008, overall, the market has been climbing very nicely during the years that I've been earning significant money. Uh, when the next correction is coming or whether or not the market will continue to rise over the next decade or so, I don't know. I use a financial advisor to assist me. My most of my knowledge is in video poker, not in whether the market's going to go up or down and which stocks to be in. Uh, these advisors are not free, and some are better than others. I use the Investment Council Company, which is a highly rated Las Vegas uh, company. I don't know whether they're accepting new clients. If they are, likely they'll want a $5 million or more uh, minimum in your investment portfolio before they'll take you on. Oh, I'd, I'd just like to comment on that. So um, I, um, I'm i going to recommend a, a book at the end when it comes to our recommendations. But if uh, I and I would not recommend a financial um, advisor, but if you are, uh, you want to make sure they're what's called a fiduciary, which means that they uh, are not allowed to profit off the trades they're making for you or having you make. So if you want a financial advisor, get the kind where you pay them an hourly fee and make sure to ask them, are you profiting off the, the purchase of this particular stock or mutual fund? You do not want somebody who is doing that. Um, so that's important. And I, I, you know, I have to say this while we're on the subject, you know, inflation is very high right now. So it is really hard to figure out where to put money at the moment. Uh, everything to me seems overblown, right? Uh, the stock market has been going up like crazy. The real estate market has been going up like crazy. Uh, and but you you can't just sell everything and sit in cash because you're losing whatever 
10 to 20% to inflation if you do that. So it's very hard to know what to do right now. But um, anyway, that's my thoughts. All right. Since Richard doesn't know what to do about it, I'm going to take a commercial break. The South Point has more than 10,000 games returning at least 99%. This is more such games than anyone else has. For the first 12 days of December, earning uh, you can earn one commemorative bottle of City Light Shine Moonshine per day for $1,000 coin in run through the machine. These apparently are the same same liquid that was in the the one sponsoring the South Point 400 a few months ago, although now they are in Christmas labels. So that makes them much more better. Uh, for December 13th to 23rd, virtually everything in the casino is half price when you use your points. Food, rooms, show tickets, bingo, bowling, um, liquor store, etc. You do not have to earn the points in December. Merely have them in your account. Hey, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and if you're serious about card counting, I'm sure Bob and Richard would agree that there are three things every Advantage player needs to succeed. You need to gain the edge over the house, you need to manage your bankroll, and you need to get the hours in at the casinos. After a decade of playing professionally and running teams, I wanted to create the exact training, tools, and community I wished I had had for myself and my Blackjack teams, so we created the Blackjack Apprenticeship Membership. Our membership will help you perfect your game, manage your bankroll, and you'll join a supportive community of like-minded card counters and APs. Find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Peak and Play Poker. This is a seven coins per line game where you get to see the first card off the pack of 47 cards that were remaining after the first five cards are dealt. You must take that card, assuming you don't hold all five original ones. Let's say you're dealt the ace, king, queen, jack of spades and a red four. Normally in video poker, you hold all four spades, say a prayer and hope for the royal. Now also assume that the peak card is another ace. Well, you know that Royal Flush isn't coming. Here you just hold the original ace because you know another ace is coming and the new ace will be paired up by the first ace off the deck. And you hope for the best. You'll have to work out the strategy on your own. This is one of the games constructed in the area where they did not create games that paid more than 99%. So it's a rare promotion that this will be your best choice of games to play in a casino. We are back to listener questions. I have a question about jacks are better with the double up feature turned on. It's a double up option plus EV. Should it only be used with small winning hands? Should it be used on all winning hands? Should it be avoided altogether? Curious if there's a known strategy for this game. Well, the double up feature, at least on IGT games, is an even money bet. That is returning 100%. Here are some reasons to consider it. If you're playing a game where the house has the edge, it allows you to play longer with the same expected loss. An 800 hands per hour player is reduced to maybe 500 hands when using double up. 
if you started with a 98% game and doubled up half the time at 100%, this means you're now playing a 98.5% game and fewer hands than you had before. Not on the game you mentioned, but there are several $5 games where the jackpot of 1250. Assuming you're a player who tips $5 for every jackpot, no matter how small, it makes sense to double up on these jackpots twice. Three out of four times, you lose your 1250. Uh, but one four times, you get $5,000 over those four jackpots. You'll save $15 in tip money. It takes a certain number, a certain kind of player to do this. To some players, betting 1250 or 2500 on a coin flip is way more than they can handle psychologically, no matter what the math says. In some casinos, some of the time, there's a WTG promotion where you get something worthwhile if your jackpot is $1,200 or more. Using, up the, using the double up feature makes it easier to get those W2Gs. This is generally valued only to gamblers who itemize. If you take the standard deductions, getting W2Gs can cause more costs than the promotion is worth. If you decide to do it, whether you uh, do it on some of the hands or all the hands is a personal choice. If I'm on a machine where that's turned on, I'll ask for it to be turned off. Um, I will have calculated the game with slot club, mailers, promotions, etc. is worth more than 100% or I wouldn't even be playing it. Playing additional hands at a mere 100% to me is a complete waste of time. Do you have any comment on doubling up, Richard? All right. What would you advise or what advice would you give for romantic relationships for professional gamblers? Whether it be advice for new relationships or actively long-term ones for APs, any advice appreciated. Being a road warrior, this lifestyle doesn't necessarily make dating easier. Do you want to try this one first? Man, it is really hard, and I am so thankful that I am married. Um, I found it really, really difficult to date as a professional gambler. Um, and and I'm not on the road as much as a lot of people are these days, I, or I wasn't. I mean, I was traveling a lot, but nowhere near what they are now. Um one of the things that makes it so difficult is where, well, now there are the dating apps, but before, where do you meet people? Well, the only place I was was casinos, right? And I learned very quickly, you do not want to date people who work in the casinos. Um, and the other thing that I believe is if you get past the first or second and third date where it's starting to look serious, you have to tell them what you do for a living. And often that was the end of any possibility of a relationship because the vast majority of women I met just did not get it at all. And, but yeah, I just, for me, there's no way I could continue in a relationship, you know, lying about what I do for a living. They either get it or sorry, <laughs> uh, it's not working out. So I wish I had some great advice for you, but I, it's really, really hard. Yeah, I, I agree. It's really tough to find a suitable mate. 
And I'm sure that APs are not a one-size-fits-all kind of group. Some guys always have girls following them around. I didn't have that problem. Uh, others have an extremely hard time finding anyone. So uh, whatever specific advice we give will only apply to a subset of our listeners. Uh, for me, dancing was important to me. So I spent time in places where they danced until I found someone. Other than preference for a certain level of attractiveness, which is there to agree for me, but I certainly wasn't holding out for a beauty queen. Uh, a mandatory characteristic of any woman that I considered was solvency and the ability to save. Uh, I hoped to generate a lot of money, and I didn't want whatever bankroll like amassed to be quickly flushed away. The lady must be able to deal with financial swings and put up with you being gone a lot or be willing and able to learn to be an AP and come with you. These are not easy characteristics to find, but I think they're mandatory for a successful relationship. You know, if religion is important to you, look for a church for your mate. If politics are important, volunteer for a candidate you support. If hiking is important to you, join hiking clubs, etc. Do whatever it is that makes you happy, and someday you'll run into somebody who likes the same thing. And even if it takes a while, you will have enjoyed the process along the way. The problem is you're going to be lonely for a while until that happens. Yeah, uh, you make a good point. Like dancing, I think that's a, a great idea. And yeah, if you're into church, that works too. But so many of the young APs that I know now... All they do is work, <laughs> you know, they're trying to build that bankroll and they're just constantly working and they don't want to take the time off to go dancing. And But they'd probably uh, be happier in their life if they would uh, find some hobby like that, that that's not a solo hobby like, you know, painting or something. Um, well, I was that way, too. I was putting in really long hours um, trying to make it. Uh, gambling wise, but you, you have to take care of yourself uh, psychologically and uh, yeah, physically too. You... Like the gym is a great idea. Although it's, it, I I would think it's easier to meet someone dancing than at the gym. You know, you have to, you're kind of forced together in when you're dancing. Yeah, I uh, the kind of dancing I was into was uh, country western, which is similar to uh, ballroom dancing, I guess, uh, where you're actually holding the lady in your arms and you can actually talk while you're while you're dancing. This is uh, if you're in a kind of dancing where you're kind of freestyle doing your own thing and your partner is ten feet away freestyle doing her own thing. That's a different situation, but still. Um, after you dance one or two times, you, you know, buy a drink or something and often at least a chatting or more. But um, but it doesn't have to be dancing. It's just like you have to take care of yourself. Um, if your whole mind is based on um, frustration over you're not getting laid, uh, that affects the rest of your life big time. Uh, there's also a uh, meetup where, you know, if you're into hiking, say, you can go on meetup and find groups that'll go hike. So you're not out there by yourself. Um, so you can find like-minded people. 
All right. Next question. I played triple double bonus and I'm down a lot. And the other day I was thinking about trying out jacks are better and I hit four aces with a kicker twice. But it didn't pay anything other than 125 credits. It would be $8,000 in total if I were still on triple double. Do you feel bad when you hit four aces and a kicker on jacks are better? Have you hit it on jacks are better? I feel very bad about this. I would uh, come out ahead and get all my losses back. Now I've wasted two chances of hitting four aces with a kicker. And if I switch back to triple double, I'll continue to lose without hitting it. I don't know how I can take this and I need help. I know you can avoid hitting four aces with the kicker on jacks are better and save it um, for triple double bonus. Please share this secret. If you charge, I will pay. <laughs> well, good. Um, let me send you my PayPal account number. Um, but if you want to feel better, just rejoice that you weren't playing Deuces Wild. Therefore, aces with a kicker would only have been worth $20 instead of 125 See, doesn't that make you feel better already? In every video poker game, there are many hands that pay more in another variety of video poker. The only way to avoid this from happening to you is to always play the same game. Your question implies that you dipped into your quota of aces in a kicker hand. You haven't. There are no video poker scorekeepers in the sky. Every hand you play, the odds are about 14,200 to 1 against getting aces with a kicker on your next hand of a triple-double bonus, somewhat different numbers for other games. It doesn't matter if you haven't hit one of these hands for months or you hit two of them yesterday. Triple-double bonus is truly a heaven or hell uh, game. You either win big or lose big. If your dry spells are intolerable to you, don't play this game. As the phrase goes, if you can't stay and stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Another factor is triple double bonus usually has pretty tight pay schedules. If you're playing the 9-6 pay schedule, which is 98.3% or worse, which most of them are, you really have no chance to win long term. Even if you get your quota bases with a kicker, you're still going to be a net loser. Also, the strategies for triple double bonus and jacks are better are different. If you're using the same strategy for both, you're probably playing both games incorrectly. All right, it's a question for Richard. Do you know of any commercially available software for practicing and offering correction for practicing blackjack whole card strategy? There is none commercially available that I'm aware of. So how would you practice that? Well, you have to memorize the charts and um, you could use a commercially available software to deal blackjack to you and then sort of pretend that you saw the whole card just to test yourself to see if you're doing it accurately. But um yeah, I mean you could you could uh 
set up a bunch of flashcards, right, to uh, test to see if you've memorized charts. But it's, I mean, but there's no software that's going to, you know, give you a glimpse of the whole card and then have you play the hand and tell you, oops, you've made a mistake. Would you uh, have a whole card friend check you out and test you? Sure. Yeah. I should say James Grosstein has um, mentioned the idea of creating a software like this, but it is not available commercially yet, and I don't know if it ever will be. All right. Here's a question about Blackjack, which puts it in Richard's alley. Of course, I'm going to handle it first anyway. Um, as I see it for the player, there's no difference between having a 12 to, or 16. As um, they, you just, to win, you need the dealer to bust. So when the dealer is showing four, why would you double with an ace four and ace five, but not with an ace two or ace three? Both cases, there are five cards that improve the hand and eight cards that don't. The same question is also applies for why you hit 12 versus a two or three, but stand on anything higher. You're just as likely to improve hitting a 12 as you are hitting a 16. What am I missing? So I like to try these blackjack questions because, uh, Often I get them right, but not always. And uh, then Richard corrects me, and we all learn something. The two cases aren't the same. With the soft hand, ace-deuce to ace-five, one of the ways to win is for the dealer to break, and the other way to win is to draw a better hand the dealer ends up with. If you double, you only get one card. If you don't double, you can get two, three, or even more cards. So with an ace five, soft 16, um, it's only drawing an ace that would make you want to draw again. Uh, with an ace two, a 13, well, if you draw an ace two, three, or four, you'd want to draw again. So with more chances to be in a situation where drawing again matters, you would tend to double down on ace two less than you would on ace five. Now, ace three and ace four are in the middle, and it just cuts out that when considering every hand, uh, they're grouped to ace two and ace three together and ace four and ace five together. Now, with the hard hands, 12 versus 16, it's a different situation because of the immediate chance of killing your hand by ending up with a hard 22 or, or higher. With a hard 12, there are only the four 10 cards that kill your hand. Uh, with the other cards that don't make a hand between 17 and 21 your hand isn't helped any but you're not dead you will still win when the dealer breaks with a hard 16 there are eight such breaking cards six seven eight nine in addition to the four ten cards and there are no neutral cards when you don't make a hand you give up all possibility of winning on on a dealer bust simply because you busted first in both of your examples, there's more to consider than just the fact of the number of cards that put you into the seven, the hard 17 to 21 range. So, Richard, what did I screw up this time? 
No, what you're saying is right. And and if you want to take card counting at blackjack seriously, you have to just accept as fact that they have done combinatorial analysis, which means they looked at if you hit a 12, they looked at every possible outcome you could get and and what your EV is with that hand. And then they took you standing on the 12 versus, you know, uh, say, a whatever, six up, and looked at every possible outcome that the dealer could have. And they found that one play is worth more than the other play. And they've done that for every possible combination of your two cards versus every dealer up card. So they know what is the mathematically correct play. And you just have to accept that it's true, even though it sometimes is not intuitive. And that actually works on uh, video poker, too, where a lot in the classes where I say you make this play and that, players go, well, the software says to do that, but it doesn't tell me why. And sometimes I can come up with an easy to understand explanation for why it is and sometimes it's um it's pretty it's too complicated to do uh verbally uh in a big class of beginners but you just have to trust that the software knows what it's doing the math behind these games is really simple if you're a computer and it can often be very difficult if you're not a computer or not rain man uh so as Richard says, be willing to trust what the experts say. Okay, the last question today. I'm interested in investing in a blackjack team as a long-term investment. Do you have any advice, such as should I get a contract outlining the terms, pay schedules, etc.? Should I expect a copy of the team handbook? How should I exchange funds with the team manager? What documentation should I get for reporting this as an investment for tax purposes? What other advice can you give me on this? Richard. My advice is very simple. Don't do it. Don't, <laughs> Don't do it. Um, I, I, first of all, I would never even consider taking an investment from somebody like this. I mean, unless, well, I mean, I don't need outside investment, but if I were to take outside investment, it would only be from someone who is a friend that I trust and they trust me. And But to invest in people you don't know or people who are soliciting investors, I, I just think this is not a good idea. Good. I think that it's a good idea to end the questions for now because we're running out of time. We still have a few questions left, which is good, meaning our listeners don't have to send in quite as many as they would otherwise, but keep them coming. Periodically, we will have this kind of show again. At the end of each show, uh, Richard and I have offer a recommended to our audience. Do you have something today, Richard? Yeah, I'm going to recommend a book because we were talking about investments um, this is a very basic 
primer for people about how to manage your own money. Uh, as I say, it's like a very beginner's book, very easy to read, well-written. Um, it's called Money, Master the Game, and it's by Tony Robbins. And, you know, you don't have to be a financial genius or do anything complicated. Uh, Tony Robbins has talked to, you know, really smart, wealthy people like Warren Buffett and people like that and put together this book that will allow you to do your own investing uh, and, yeah. And so that's it. Money, Master the Game by Tony Robbins. All right. My uh, recommendation is a novel that came out 50 years ago. It's called The Day of the Jackal. This is a Frederick, Frederick Forsyth book. Now, I was still a student and wasn't reading novels for pleasure back then, but I probably read it 35 years ago for the first time. And it was one of the first thriller books I ever read. I've read lots of thriller books uh, since then. But uh, Day of the Jackal struck me as exceptionally well written at the time, but I had nothing to compare it to. I reread it recently to see how it stood up. And it stands up extremely well. The story takes place in 1963, where a plot of disaffected French army members attempt to assassinate President Charles de Gaulle because they don't like the way he let Algeria get away from the French. They hire a foreigner to do the job. The plot concerns the immaculate planning done by the assassin and the steps to stop him done by police in several com countries, some of whom are quite competent and some of whom are buffoons. Um, but at the time it was released, de Gaulle was known to have passed away quietly while in retirement. So, you know, going in, the plan does not work. But even with that foreknowledge, it's compelling to see how the novel unfolds. Uh, there was a movie written, a movie that came out, I think it was in 73, uh, which is also very good. And fairly close to the book. They, uh, they remade that movie, too. Um... I don't remember exactly when, but it, it was remade. But, you know, uh, you got me thinking. I'm going to give you a second recommendation because it got me thinking about the movie and which got me thinking about uh, Assassins, uh, which got me thinking about a movie I really like called The Mechanic. And uh, this is a Charles Bronson movie where he plays a professional assassin and he takes – a uh, young uh, up-and-comer under his wing to uh, teach the guy the ropes. And uh, it, it's a really good movie. So I recommend they, – they did a – I think they did a remake version, which was not very good. But uh, check out this book, this movie called The Mechanic with Charles Bronson. I think it's from the 70s. Very good. So we're going to have to sign off quick before Richard gives you a third recommended. <laughs> so – I keep Thank forgetting to much. write these things down. Every every time we're going to do a show, Bob says, do you have a recommended? And I go, oh, oh, wait, what was I going to recommend? And then. Well, I have them written down. And then I don't remember if I've already given them or not. So oh, you're supposed uh, to cross have... them out when you after you do it. So. 
Well, I, I do have a version of that, but it's uh, there's still that I'm unsure. And so um, someday you may get a recommendation of something that I recommended a month and a half before, but such is life. Uh, thank you, Richard. Uh, go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day. What's up, y'all? I'm David. And I'm Justice. And the Don't Trip Podcast is now part of Blue Wire Network. Considering getting back with an ex, want to know if a pickup line works, or maybe you're just stuck in a friend zone. Don't Trip is advice at no price, and we're always going to keep it real. We engage directly with our listeners with funny segments such as Simping or Pimping, where we rate pickup lines, high questions to answer the unanswerable, or live listener callings. Listen to Don't Trip on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And catch the video versions on YouTube every week. Don't Trip, we got you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.